UFOs, Bigfoot, paranormal input. Go ahead now, get mystical. Mystery and magical. UFOs, not typical. Bigfoot, not typical. You ask me why I'm skeptical. I say questions are questionable. Is the truth alien to you? Alien to get my message through. Aliens might message you. Aliens are sliding through. The wild signal we're plotting to. Algorithms they find is true. Typical. Skeptic. Shut Got no time for no petty germs, pandemic, a pandemic turn, horror still in Amityville, Bayonet in Gettysburg, Mothman, TNT, Factory, Red Eyes, Loki, Dogman, Howling in the Street, I'm typically skeptic of what I see, Voodoo Hoodoo in New Orleans, Thunderbird, Swamp Thing, is it real, I was wondering, typical, skeptic, show, typical, skeptic, show. On this, yeah. The other night we had an interview I thought was an hour that went three, so I cannot go over the hour. Oh yeah, no, this will, this will only be an hour. I I understand it. This will only be an hour. I promise. Like I'm not like that. I don't. You know. Um, I'm just gonna hit my intro, and uh, it should be playing here if it works. Maybe it's. In- <laughs> that was charming. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Typical Skeptic Podcast. Um, just to let you guys know, whoever's tuned into the beginning of the show, I'm having um, technical issues here in Pittsburgh because it's um, it's storming tonight. So it's a perfect night for you if you're if you're from this area or wherever you're from to tune in because it's it's the weather's not the greatest and. Uh, I have two fascinating guests with me tonight. I have with me Ken Goodsword, and I have with me Barbara DeLong. Um, they've written a brand new book. It's it's amazing. It's called Before Roswell, The Secret History of UFOs. Um, now, what this is basically, like, when, when people think of ufology, a lot of people think of Roswell, and they think that the phenomena goes back to the Roswell incident, but it, it goes back way much further than that. I mean, and we're not just talking about ancient aliens here. We're talking about like sightings from the medieval times, from the 1910s, the 1920s, the 1930s. And in this book, Ken and Barbara have done an amazing job of, of, of documenting this. I mean, it's, uh, it's really amazing. And, and just a little bit more about my guest. Ken Goodsword is a systems analyst with expertise in industrial robotics, software engineering, and data design. He enjoys applying these skills to ancient Hebrew and Sumerian documents and the UFO phenomenon. Ken's home on the web is dimensionfold.com. You can get the book there. And about Barbara, she's an ordained spiritual minister. Barbara served as a local spiritualist church as one of the rotating ministers from 2003 to 2008. Her member platform membership was considered both accurate and inspired. Her website, Barbara DeLong Spiritual Empath, is a teaching site combined personal information and a plethora of spiritual material and energetic forecasts for each month of the year in october 2009 she launched her own show which i'm a huge fan of nightlight which features spiritual philosophy questions and answers and awesome interviews with authors and those in the metaphysical field the show offers a platform for planting the seeds of spiritual insight as well as for showcase for featured offers to offering insight from a plethora of different modalities Barbara is also a Reiki master. And once again, the book is called uh, Ro- Before Roswell, 
secrets of the secrets of the ufo phenomena secret history of ufos i'm sorry <laughs> but uh ken barbara thank you for joining me how are you doing very well i i will definitely after that shorten my bio <laughs> <laughs> and how are well, you ken I'm great. Uh, I think it's um, just listening to those two bios back to back is kind of funny because like Barbara and I come from such very different backgrounds, uh, but also there's a fair bit of overlap there in terms of some of the some oh, other yeah. things. But yeah, I, so I think it's we we have a unique perspective as a duo because, uh, you know, we're we're kind of the left and the right brain uh, coming at it here. Well, you, you guys have both been on a roll with like ev everything you're doing individually. Like I'm a big fan of Barbara's nightlight. Um, I, I, it was, it's an, it's honestly, Barbara, your show has been like an inspiration for my show. And then Ken, like you've been on a roll, like writing lately. I, I, I know you've written another book called the Fermi paradox is bullshit, which I, I love the title of that. We can talk about that tonight too. And it just seems like you're, you're kind of taking dimension fold to the next level. So I think both you guys are taking your own careers to the next level, but at the same time, you guys combined to do this book. Can you talk about that? Sure. Um, so I, I, when I met Barbara, I guess it was a couple months ago, really not that long ago. And yeah. um, I was a guest on her show uh, or one of her shows that falls under her umbrella. Um, and she's got a whole amazing team uh, that that are doing shows under the nightlight umbrella, um, and so I was on uh, one of their shows, and then um, looking at Barbara's website, I realized that she had a lot of information um, just sitting there, and <laughs> and I was like, you know what, you, would you should turn this into a book? Some of this stuff, and um, and then, or actually, I think I said, hey, can I just use some of your information? Um, and then ended, we ended up just deciding to collaborate and, and write the book together, uh, which I think was a really good, um, good decision on our parts. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's nice to be able to have um, uh, one, one kind of point of contact where people can get familiar with this one book and then springboard off onto both of our other uh, projects and whatnot. So that's sort of a neat opportunity. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, actually, uh, I'm sorry. Ken go is, ahead. Ken is going to publish um, another book that I'm writing as well. And then there are a couple of others that we're going to co-author on, I think. So it's, um, it's been an, it, it's been a great collaboration so far. You know, neither of us have been so outraged by the other that we have to walk <laughs> away. So yeah, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Yeah. That's awesome. I wanted to ask you guys this with everything that's going on, like, um, you know, like you, everybody can tune into YouTube and like see a YouTube video about this or that. And sometimes we hear about a lot of misinformation in the ufology community, but this book is the exact opposite of misinformation. This is like information that's, that's correct because it's like, it's, it's real sightings, you know, that like people have witnessed and they're documented throughout time. Like how important was like getting this right to you guys and like showing um, a, a true side to ufology, I guess. If, does that make any sense? Yeah, for sure. Um, 
Well, I get, I have a spiel that I guess this is a this is a pretty good place to start on yeah, that. So spiel out. Spiel it out. So um, I think you know we have we've collected. Um, I didn't count them, but I'm thinking there's about 500 or pretty close to it. Close. Um, different uh, <clears throat> eyewitness accounts in this book, um, and we really don't speculate on any of it. We just lay them out as far as this is what they said. Um, then we do a little bit of pattern analysis in terms of just looking at the data and and seeing if there are what similarities there are through the ages. Um, but that's kind of all we're doing um, in terms of like we're not trying to explain anything. Uh, we're just saying this is what people are have said that they saw. Um, and this is also the reason that we cut it off at 1947. We, in this book, we do not look at the modern UFO phenomenon. We only look at um, anything that happened prior to Roswell uh, because after the Roswell incident, um, of course, there was uh, a huge amount of publicity. And this is where you started to get things where there was one story one day and the opposite story the next day. And so um, this is this was seems to be the the point in time where disinformation really uh, really crept into the field and crept is not the wrong word because it just bombarded its way in. And really nowadays um, to investigate any kind of UFO sighting, you have to dig through a lot of, like how how do you know what's what's true and what's uh, what's straight out lies or what's you know inaccurate representations of what somebody said and it's very very difficult to get to the bottom of things nowadays. Uh, but prior to 1947, that was not really the case. So that's why we sort of cut that off there. I was going to say like what and and either one of you can answer this. But I was going to say what similarities did you find? throughout time and then also to piggyback on that question did the did the face of the phenomena change over the years like uh, like we're being like we're being shown something now that we that back in like maybe 1863 they were seeing something different does that make any sense yeah that makes a lot of sense and the answer is no it hasn't really changed um it's been remarkably um cohesive uh, over a 50,000 year period. Wow. That's fascinating. So, I mean, cause you would think like that, I thought maybe like with the addition of like the TR three B's and stuff like that, but like people are seeing like mostly the same stuff you're saying. For the most part. Yeah. I mean, there's a, a little bit more variations now, um, in terms of, um, you know, a few things that, that don't necessarily fit the historical pattern. Um, maybe that's because they are uh, man-made technology. I don't know. Like, I, I would have to look at that as a, on a case-by-case -case basis, which I probably won't do because see my, my previous point about disinformation. Well, well wait a minute. You know, I, uh, if you go back to 13,000 years ago, a picture in a cave drawing in France was exactly like what I saw in 1956. Yeah. So very similar. And what was the shape of that one, Barbara? It was a saucer. Okay. 
Wow. So they've been they've been here all this time, like basically, like it, way back to the caveman days. Oh yeah, and and beyond. I mean, if you want to look at the Bible references, they go back what couple thousand years. Yeah. Yeah, most one, of the biblical thing, references are about fifteen hundred to two thousand, or yeah. sorry, to twenty five hundred to to three thousand years ago. One thing I heard you talk about when you did the show with um, Mark Eddy was um, the story of Jacob's ladder, like because I know we, me and you have talked about the Anunnaki before, Ken. But for you guys that don't know, Ken's been on my show multiple times. I think this is the third time Ken's been on my show. And we've talked about the Anunnaki in great detail because he's into it. I'm into it. But um, I don't think we ever talked about this story before. Now it got me really interested because I wanted to know what it was that Jacob experienced. And like, it supposedly he wrestled with an Anunnaki or an Elohim, maybe possibly. We don't know yeah. for sure. But Yeah, well, they use different words at different, uh, different times, um, especially in the Old Testament. And of course, the Anunnaki comes from a different language. It's the Akkadian word. Um, so it's entirely possible that Anunnaki and Elohim are the same phenomenon, uh, just in different languages. Um, uh, however, in ja in the story of Jacob's Ladder, um, even there, uh, I don't think they even use the word Elohim because they use a different word there. Um, uh, which I talk about in my other book, UFOs in the Bible. So um, it's been a while since I read that part. I don't know if, how much detail I want to go into it. Um, but well, basically... No, but what I was saying was Jacob saw a saucer too, right? He he, he didn't just have this encounter with Elohim. He supposedly yeah. saw a saucer as well. Yeah, they he didn't describe the shape of what he saw, but what he did describe was that there was an object in the sky and it had um, a ramp going up and there were beings uh, coming up and down the ramp. Um, so the word that like we like, we usually think it's a ladder or a staircase and that's how they always draw it in the Renaissance paintings. Uh, but the, the closest um, English word uh, in terms of how close we can get to the actual uh, Hebrew word originally, it would be a ramp. So what that's do we know of? What, I mean, like that that's your classic, uh, you know, close encounters of the third kind. What do they come out of the ship in? It's always a ramp. Yeah. Um, one thing that I wanted to go over was what, what um, I heard another like, um, reference in the show you did with Mark again. Like there, I heard you say there was some really strange, not, it sounded strange to me. And Barbara, you can comment on this or Ken, whoever wants to. I was going to ask you guys, what are some of the strangest cases that you came across doing this book? Like, like some that might, made it, might have made, maybe, maybe made the craft sound man-made or a close encounter or whatever you can remember that you, you dug up when you were writing this book. Well, Alistair Crawley met somebody on the mountaintop that he took as an alien um, when he was, when he was climbing. And that was in the 1800s, I think. Right, Mark? I think, I think so. And, and then my favorite is the Aurora, um, Texas one where, <laughs> where the ship crashed into a windmill and um, then eventually did crash and burn. And the townspeople uh, 
went to collect whatever bodies there were. They found one, and it was of a very small man. And they had a funeral for him. And this comes from an interview with a woman that, that attended the funeral. And uh, they buried him in their cemetery. And uh, a number of decades later, um, a government agency wanted to dig up the man, and they wouldn't tell him where it was. Wow, that's that's fascinating. Like, I've never heard of that. See, that's another thing that, like I was going to say, another reason why you guys, all the audience members listening out there, you got to get this book because it's, it's, it's like they just said, it's 500 cases of UFOs stories that you've never heard before. I guarantee you, you never heard of 80 to 90% of these cases. They're all like some, well, I mean, some of the stuff you, you've heard of, but like a lot of it's new stuff. And, and I, I'm just really impressed with the way that you guys were able to put this together. Like, um, what about like weird um, cases with like humanoids? Did you guys have anything like that? Yeah, there's there's a few. Um, I mean, the the one that crashed in Aurora was said to have um, up to six uh, beings, humanoid beings, on board um, that were visible at various times because that ship actually appeared uh, numerous times over a six month period all across the mid the Midwest, uh, starting in California and then um, going heading over to Chicago and then eventually crashing in Texas. Um, hundreds of people uh, saw these uh, humanoid beings on that ship, um, and some of them actually had conversations with them. Like, it's unreal. That that's fascinating. What uh, going back again to the show you guys did with Mark? I heard you say there was one where um, the people almost sounded British or something like that. Like that 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 people had contact with them, and they said that they had like. Um, like man-made features on the craft. Is that true? Uh, that's probably the same, the same ship that we're talking about here where they, in, in a bunch of the reports, uh, they were said to be speaking an unintelligible language. Um, but then later on in some, in, um, as, as the craft continued its journey, uh, they began conversing with the people. So it's almost as if the, if if the if they were aliens, uh, it's almost as if these aliens had, uh, partway through the trip, decided that they better learn English. Um, like it's it's kind of funny, but of course it doesn't necessarily mean they were speaking English because there were a lot of immigrants uh, in the Midwest at that time. So it could have been German, uh, or you know, it could have been Norwegian or something. Um, but it's it's quite fascinating that just the fact that many of the uh, witnesses were able to have conversations with them, and and sometimes they even asked for uh, help fixing their ship, or they needed to borrow some water. Like it was, it's really weird. That 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 that's fascinating. Um, one one speaking speaking of um speaking German, one of the cases that you cover in the book is the famous Admiral Byrd case, and uh, I don't know if that was Barbara who did that or you can or but like that's always a case that's fascinated me over the years because I know a lot of people have talked about it, but like there's so many different variations of the story. Like if there's supposedly he went to inner Earth and you know contacted these beings, but then then supposedly he encountered German ships and he was, you know, forced away from this battle scene. And 
I mean, can you guys get into that and why you chose to put that one in the book? Um, well, Admiral Berg was on an expedition and he was flying over the South Pole and he was sucked into, according to his diary, sucked into this um, large hole. And at some point his controls were taken over and the ship was landed. And then he was taken to speak to somebody who was in authority and um, and then sent back to his ship and the ship was um, lifted out of the hole. They did speak German at that point. They, these are people from Middle Earth but, or have German accents and he saw swastikas down there. But his ship was then, he was put back in it, he was sent home. Uh, when he got home, he was told not to speak of it. He was silenced. Um, he did write a diary that has since been published that tells about all that. Shortly thereafter, and I'm not sure what the time frame was, um, Operation High Jump was initiated, and the um, the United States sent a huge fleet of ships and men and planes to Antarctica, theoretically to take they, because they had heard about the Germans having. Um, a base underneath the ice. And Middle Earth didn't come into it here, except when they got close enough, the fleet that was sent was attacked by saucers that had swastikas on them. And um, our fleet took the worst of the battle and turned around and went home. And nothing was spoken of since then. Yeah. I mean, do, do you think that that, that, I mean, do we have other evidence? Do you think that the, there was a German breakaway civilization? Like, uh, uh, just like if you guys had to speculate. I, I wouldn't say it was a breakaway civilization. It is now. But I would say during World War II, they had a base there. I, I don't doubt that at all. And um, if they were working with other terrestrials or, or non-terrestrials on, on, on things there. I would say that since the war ended, that then it became a separate culture, civilization, what have you. And I, I think they're still there. That's just my opinion. Yeah. I'm, what are your thoughts, Ken? Uh, I, I think it's possible. I, I think that there are some elements of the Admiral Byrd story uh, that I... Mm, I'm I'm a little more skeptical on uh, because I'm not a hundred percent convinced of the authenticity of those of his diary, um, but the Operation High Jump stuff um, is you can't deny that the U.S. government the the military sent um, a, a millions of dollars of equipment down there um, and I there are those that deny there was even a battle. Um, I don't buy it. I, I believe there was a battle there and I think they got their asses handed to them and uh, they came back with their tails between their legs. And that's, that's what now, Bird said. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, it's pretty, it's what like document. Now I wanted to ask you, did you guys cover the battle of Los Angeles? Like, I know you guys covered Orson Welles, but wasn't <clears> the battle of Los Angeles like a separate event or, or supposedly? Yeah. yeah. Oh Yeah. Yeah, it's in the book. Um, I, I think uh, I, I know that my late husband had had a radio show called um, 
the Matrix Radio, and he and I had um, a man on that had been one of the children that had witnessed it. And he had been one of the kids that went onto the beach and, and pulled up, you know, shrapnel and stuff like that. So the Battle of Los Angeles was very real. And thousands of people saw that. Okay, and for Barbara, can you tell the people who might not really know much about it, can you tell the people about what happened in the Battle of Los Angeles? We lost. Um, there was a lot. Of, they, <laughs> they, 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 had, um, they had news that, that um, airplanes or whatever were coming into Los Angeles, and, and the Army thought that possibly it was, it was Japan invading. And um, so they put the sirens on, they put the searchlights on, and it was a large ship. I don't know if it was more than one or not, but it was a large ship. And they did send up fighter planes to, to fight with it. And, and the planes were much smaller than um, the craft that they were, they were shooting at. And none of their armaments were able to get even close to the, the hull of, of the, the, the ship, the saucer. Um, all of the uh, all of the shells and everything exploded before they got to the uh, to the object. So there was a lot of uh, collateral damage, but it was all from our stuff not getting to where it was aimed at. And it moved very slowly, it moved very slowly. So everybody got a good look at it. So that's that's two things that happened during World War II. Um, yeah. But I want to point out that the German connection goes uh, back further to World War One, and it seems that the Germans weren't always on the side of the ETs, because uh, Barbara likes to tell this next part, so I'll let her do it. The first guy who shot down a UFO. Oh, yes, yes. This is, this is my favorite piece of trivia from the whole book. I have to tell you, I'm in love with this story. <laughs> do you know who the first human to shoot down a UFO was? No. It was the Red Baron. He was German. And the one that Snoopy had, had a great deal to do with. But he was the first person to shoot down a UFO. The bloody Ooh, Red can Baron. You can you tell us more about this? This, is, this sounds fascinating. I, I'm not sure who we got the story from, but I think it was somebody that, that served with the Red Baron. And they didn't, they didn't think it was any really big deal. He shot down, I don't, I can't remember, something like 600 or something like that, planes or whatever. Maybe, maybe I exaggerate Yeah, it here. was hundreds, for sure, and, hundreds. And, and so he had a reputation that was phenomenal. And one of the casualties was a UFO. The UFO uh, crashed uh, beside some woods. The, the pilot got out and ran into the woods, and it was no big deal. It was just another, you know piece of alien technology that the Germans were, were, you know, taking down. And not, not a whole lot was thought about it until years later when somebody reported that it had been a, it had been a UFO. The, the Red Baron was like the Tom Cruise of his day, man. He oh, was yeah. like the ultimate hero in Germany <sighs> in, in World War One. He was, so he was like an ace fighter pilot. Yeah, yeah. That's so cool. What one thing that I just thought of that would be a good, really good question is is um you know how they're always saying that the 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 ETs are interested in our nuclear um our nuclear programs like did, did did sightings go up during wartime 
or were they did they go down like and 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 with that you could say are the ets interested in our concept of war and what do you think about that yeah for sure you they are to... there there was hundreds of sightings in world war ii um and uh there's there was even they even launched a separate phenomenon called foo fighters which of course the band uh with um uh, you know, the, the band, the Foo Fighters, what an awesome band, uh, by the way. But, um, <laughs> and Dave Grohl once stated Dave that Grohl. it was the worst yeah. name for a band, uh, but I, I love their work. Um, but anyway, the, the Foo Fighters were these, um, I would say that they're more similar to what we would today call an orb. Um, and so many times they were just like a ball of light. Um, but these were reported hundreds of times um, by both the Axis and the Allies fighter pilots that they were being dive-bombed by these things. Um, they would show up in the middle of a dogfight. They would chase them around. Um, and our our best pilots and our best uh, military technology could not keep up with these things. Wow, that's fascinating. Like, And, and it, I, I remember hearing something about the Foo Fighters, but I never really knew exactly what the, it, what, what the phenomena was. Like, um, uh, so sightings really picked up then during wartime, you, you would say. Yeah, well, it could just, it might just be because there were a lot of planes in the air, um, like way more than normal, right? So, and, and these were primarily the source of uh, most of the sightings was the, the fighter pilots. Yeah, I, I was going to say if you if you guys think if, if if you think that we have UFO technology like in our in our possession, the United States government, how far do you think that goes back? Like, do you think it goes back to Roswell, or do you think that we've had things going on before that? I my opinion is that for sure Roswell, um, and if you take it, I, I believe everything that. Um, that Bob Lazar says, although it's possible that he's been fed misinformation um, and his whole career might've been based on mis misinformation. They might've been using him as a, some kind of setup or a false flag, but um, I, everything that he says, I believe he believes. Um, and he said that he went, he saw um, nine different craft in area 51 in, in their storage hangar. Um, so, you know, we know we know about the Roswell crash, but where did these other eight craft come from? Because we haven't heard about eight other crashes. It's also possible that they were gathered from around the world. And actually, um, recently on the Joe Rogan show, uh, Bob um, uh, released a new bit of information that I think he just kind of forgot about or whatever. It wasn't important at the time. But recently he indicated that um, at least one of the craft there um, was said to be from an archaeological dig. So basically it was really ancient and they, some archaeologists had uh, discovered it and then the government confiscated it. So in, in, your, in you guys' opinion, do you think this all points back to Samaria? Or, I mean, maybe we could even say that it goes back beyond that to maybe Atlantis and Lemuria. But like as far as like our known history, do you think the UFO phenomenon goes back to like the Anunnaki and Sumeria, we had to like maybe speculate. 
Well, for sure. I mean, that's not even speculation because the Sumerian documents tell us that they came from other planets and they arrived on Earth. Well, presumably they used some kind of technology to do that unless they just beamed here. Uh, but even then, they're, they're still using alien technology. So the alien technology is hard-coded right into all the Sumerian myths. I, I dig into that a lot in my book, uh, The Enuma Elish, and also in the new book that I'm working on, the, on the Atrahasis epic. Um, so stay tuned for that book. But yeah, that, that stuff is um, absolutely really baked right into the Sumerian myth mythology. It's also in the Hebrew stories, uh, except that it's been obfuscated to the point where it's unrecognizable. So I'm also working on uncovering some of that stuff. I think they might That's have been here. I think they might have been here before um, us. Before us, yeah. I mean, that's also what the Sumerians said is that they were here and then they made us. Yeah. And I, I believe that. And you know, it's not just like for the people that want to get on Zachariah Sitchin, like that's okay. They can they can say Zachariah Sitchin's misinformation, whatever they want to say, but you can look into other Assyriologists uh, like Austin Henry Laird. George Smith, um, there's there's a lot of them. Um, Samuel Noah Kramer that translated the tablets, and they came up with like similar um, similar uh, conclusions, right? And you can almost go, you can go on Oxford's website. You can go to ETCSL, I think it is, and you can read all the tablets on Oxford's um, website. Did, did you, yeah, but you, absolutely. You, you, they they kind of downplay the alien side of things, but it's very, it's still clear in the texts. Um, you know, they the the um, the sort of academic take on it is that they call them gods, and well, I mean, whatever, call them whatever you want. They're saying that they came from somewhere else. Um, so, calling them gods maybe only makes it more difficult because gods live in other planes of existence uh, rather than other planets. Well, it's harder to get to from another planet or from another, you know, alternate reality or other dimension or whatever. So I don't really think that the, that the academic trick of calling them gods is really fooling anyone anymore. Um, but it is, it is interesting. Um, but I want to say too, with Sitchin, you know, I think that Sitchin got a lot of things very, very wrong. Uh, for example, Nibiru, it's not a planet. It's just a, it's part of the three-dimensional mapping system that Enki created. But um, in, in broad strokes, uh, Sitchin had, was telling the, the right story. I, maybe he's, he's got some details wrong, but I think the overall um, broad strokes of the story, I would say I agree with. Well, one thing I want to back up on, I, and I know we're, we're mostly talking about UFOs, but this is so interesting. What is the, I never heard this before. What is the three-dimensional um, mapping system that Enki created? That sounds fascinating. Oh. Hey, you know what? I'm going to have to come back on an, on another time and we'll talk about the Sumerian stuff. So I can dig into that with you uh, once I get my Atrahasis book um, done, because honestly, it would take me 15 minutes to explain it. <clears throat> Okay. Well, one thing I did want to cover that, that does tie into this is your book, The Fermi Paradox is Bullshit. Like, can you talk about that how, that and how that ties into this subject? Yes. So um, uh, I'll try. This is hard to be, be quick on. But yeah, so <laughs> Fer, Fermi's Paradox is Bullshit uh, basically examines 
it, the question, is there any evidence of life in space? And the short answer is, yes, there is a lot of evidence. And so um, I'm not going to say we have found extraterrestrial life, uh, but we have found evidence that there is life out in space, uh, or at least there was, um, as, as well as evidence that there is um, a very high probability that uh, space is a nice place to live instead of just this uh, you know, dark hole that every that we kind of think of it as is it space is capable of supporting life in all over the place. So, what do you agree with like the people that say that like NASA's bullshit and that like there's actually life on Mars, or do you not take it to that level? Or like, where do you sit well, with all that like secret space program stuff? Well, NASA actually did discover signs of biolog biological activity in the Martian soil in 1974. So I do uh, delve into that in that book. Um, again, it's not necessarily saying, hey, there's there's life here. Well, actually, it's pretty damn close to saying that. Uh, in the 1974 um, experiments that they did, there was, um, uh, there was organic um, activity. So, I mean, something was alive there. Yeah, and they also yeah, found but, water. Uh, yeah, and water sorry, too, I'm yeah. They found water on Mars, you're saying. Yeah, there's a lot of water on Mars. Um, in the solar system, there is 50 times as much water as there is on Earth. Wow, that's fascinating. So these plant these planets could all be habitated and we just don't know it. Yeah. What are your thoughts on it, Barbara? Do you believe we live in an, uh, an inhabited universe? Absolutely. Absolutely. Excuse me. And I think that a lot of what we're seeing as far as, you know, entities here and stuff is interdimensional rather than spaceship. So I, I go more for interdimensional portals than I do for motherships. I, I agree with that. And and what I was going to say was, I mean, because it, it, make, it makes a lot more sense, right, that they would be coming from inter, interdimensionally. It does. I mean, when you think of a tin can going through space for thousands of years, it doesn't make sense to me. If you think of a ship going through a portal and then being wherever it's going, that makes sense. And if they're that far ahead of us in technology, what we're seeing here on the planet a lot of times are drones of some sort, I think from the future or, or interdimensional. Um, <clears throat> I don't think that whatever you know, massive ships they're saying are out there. I'm not sure I buy that. I'm not sure I buy, you know, motherships, but I, I certainly believe that there are portals that, that have been breached and that um, vehicles, even Bigfoots, have come and gone through them. So, and I think that's why you can't find a Bigfoot because it knows where the portals are. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that, that would make sense, right? Well, one thing I wanted to cover with you guys before we—I mean, I still have a couple more questions, but one thing I wanted to cover was the um, the the chapters you wrote on the Renaissance sightings and the Middle Ages sightings. Like, what were people reporting then? Like, and if you can think of a case that that you that you that you remember from that time, I mean, that sounds like a really interesting time to see a UFO and like where the people. Uh, what did, how did they write about it? Like, what did they say? 
What can when did Fatima happen? That doesn't fit into that time frame, yeah, that does it? That was a bit later, like seventeen something. Um, but there was a spaceship at Fatima too. Uh, yeah, that's not clear to me. I mean, it seems like it, but it maybe a not. Silver object. Come on. Yeah, there was something. <clears throat> something weird happened. Um, but okay, I'm just kind of looking at the book here for a second. So, Renaissance. Well, 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 so while you're looking at the book, while you're looking at the book, Cap, can can I ask Barbara, like Barbara, like what was this spaceship that supposedly came and saw Fatima? Or can you talk about that? <clears throat> it apparently was behind the vision of. Well, at at first it was just a, a woman dressed in white, and then it became the Virgin Mary, but it was at, I forget which sighting it was, the fifth, I think, but I, I you can't quote me on that one. Um, I'd have to go to the book too, and then it would look stupid with both Ken and I looking through our book <laughs> trying to find what we what we wrote about. <clears throat> but, I um, found something. <laughs> but, but the Fatima one is where the, the roses rain down on everybody, and, and apparently the silver object was behind the vision of the woman dressed in white. So, um, and so do you think there's something to this? Do you think do you think there are some of those secrets of Fatima, Barbara? <clears throat> well, um, I believe in egregores. Are you familiar with they are? Um, yeah, yeah. That's like a that's like a thought form, right? Yeah, it's a thought form that can take physical <clears throat> can take physical form if enough people are putting their energy into it. And when you have thousands of people looking into the sky wanting to see something, they can create a hologram of it real fast. <clears throat> so I think that some of the sightings were holographs and some of them may have been real. I you know, I wasn't there, I don't know. I mean, when it rained and everybody was dry afterwards, that's hard for me to figure out. Uh, but but I think that because we are religiously based, we tend to take a religious interpretation of a lot of things, and it isn't always appropriate. Yeah, it's interesting that yeah, you, you you know that that word <laughs> egregore is uh, almost the same word as egregi. Which is it, which occurs in the Book of Enoch, yep. also known as the Watchers, um, and you know these Watchers are supposedly the sons of God, and they came down and they were physically manifested in into physical form so that they could actually have sex with women, uh, and thus the Nephilim were born. Um, so yeah, there's like again, this is a really old tradition. Um, because the Book of Enoch, if those events actually happened, that was uh, all that was over three thousand years ago. Um, now, interesting. That name, that name that you said. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Barbara. Let, let me let me just jump on that a little bit. <clears throat> Egregores, from a metaphysical standpoint, do not have souls or spirits uh, within okay. them. Um, the giants theoretically did not have spirits within them. Uh, they may have had souls, but they didn't have spirits. You know, you go body, mind, spirit. Body is obvious. Mind is what people refer to as whole soul. But but the body and the soul become ashes. The spirit is what hops lifetime to lifetime to lifetime. It doesn't hop, but you know, it travels lifetime to lifetime to lifetime. Mm. <clears throat> but 
things like the egregores don't have a, a, a spiritual connection. They, they are, um, so, you know, they're, they're made of uh, soil and whatever. Almost like a homunculus? Yes. Okay. What's that? That's like the human with the huge head, right? Or, 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 or... Well, it's a, it's basically like your Frankenstein monster, where it's a, it's a creature created from whatever. Oftentimes, it's created from clay, um, and and this was a big thing in the Jewish tradition, um, and particularly uh, during the uh, during the, the medieval period, and like when everyone was getting into alchemy, um, the the Jewish alchemists were really big into creating these homunculuses. Um, and some of them supposedly were successful. And so they were able to create these living servants um, that uh, they would use for various uh, tasks around the monastery or whatever. Um, but it's like really interesting idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is. <laughs> But in, in many ways, it's again, it's similar to what the Sumerian Anunnaki did, because what they did was they took a lump of clay and they turned it into a living being, which is now uh, Homo sapiens. So if they could do it um, 10,000 years ago, maybe the Jews, uh, the, these Jewish people uh, had stumbled across some, um, you know, some old documents as to how a, re a recipe, a recipe. Yeah. Alchemists that's, that's love their recipes. I mean, the, 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 here's the thing: like they, uh, they basically did copy a lot of those Sumerian stories too, right? Yes. I mean, like we know that's a fact. Like that, the Old Testament is like, uh, you know, uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different stuff in the Bible too. I haven't examined it that that well. I mean, you would know, Ken, but like they did take a lot of the stories, like the Atrahasis and the Enuma Elish, and like, you know, um just yeah you know like even lot, i was looking of... even today i was reading about uh, uh while i'm doing some um work on the atrahasis i noticed a really strong similarity between um the uh, the after the around the birth of the lulu and uh and in the uh, the new testament the book of john um where you have these themes of uh, like in the book of John, they first of all, he talks about in the beginning, there was the word and the word was with God. And then later on in John 3.16, which is the famous verse that all football, football fans know, is that um, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And this exact same theme happens in the Atrahasis, where one of the Anunnaki is selected as a, as a sacrifice uh, but it's not because they need a sacrifice for a religious reason, uh, but it's because they need biological material uh, to to do their laboratory work to create these humans. It's a really fascinating story that I don't think is really, uh, most people don't know it's in there because everyone just thinks the Atrahasis is about the flood, which it is. That's in the second half of the book. But it goes way deeper. That the Atrahasis goes deeper. It goes into it gets into genetic manipulation and yeah. and uh, the story of 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 Atrahasis, who was basically Noah. But it goes deep into like Enki and then Herzog creating humans. And yeah. you know, like that's what I think the 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 part that like people who don't study the tablets 
and I call it, they get like a YouTube education where they just watch like YouTube videos and they don't go read the tablets for themselves. And then they have an opinion. They're like, oh, well, this and this, this happened. It's like, well, no, you got to go read the tablets and then you'll know for sure. It's like, if you don't go read the tablets, then you're missing out on a big piece of like why we think we all think this is real. Would like, you agree? Even Well, I totally would agree, but I'll, I'll go one step further because uh, even if you just read uh, the tablets, um, I mean, I'm using, um, I'm using the translations of, uh, like the, the people who've come before me who actually, um, understand how to read Akkadian. I do not. Um, so I'm using their translations, but even then they're, they're not reading between the lines and they're missing all this, um, you know, they're, I'm, I don't have a problem with most of their, uh, most of their, um, text like in terms of what does the text say sure i agree with it but what does the text mean um the academics are totally uh out on out in left field by throwing all this religious connotations onto it uh, that don't exist and um talking about gods and and goddesses and all this stuff uh where they're you know the anunnaki are not gods the Anunnaki are people, maybe not humans. Well, definitely not humans. Um, that's clear in the in the narrative. But uh, maybe close to humans, right? Yeah, I mean, cl close enough that their DNA is inside of us. So, um, but mind you, that's a whole other topic. One day I'll come and talk to you about human DNA and why there's no such thing as human DNA. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, we got to do another show. You're you're getting me excited to do a a, a whole Anunnaki show. We have to uh, we have to do that. Okay, one thing, one more thing I wanted to cover. It's a uh, it's something that people talk about a lot, but not really. Um, 1938, um, the Orson Welles radio broadcast, War of the Worlds. Um, can you guys talk about why you put that in the book and why you think it's important for like the history of ufology? <laughs> <clears throat> well, for starters, it made everybody afraid of UFOs. Mm -hmm. And that's where that's one of the places where fear started. Um, <clears throat> my mother um, talked about listening to that show and how literally she could hear people panicking outside when the show was going on. Uh, she knew it was a, a fictional thing, but but a lot of the, her neighbors didn't. And it caused great panic. But I think also the outcome of it was was very telling. I mean, the uh, the common cold killed the aliens, and that that may well be the case. That brings up yeah. a good another interesting point because there's um, you had asked about the the uh, the Middle Ages, and I got a, I got a good one here. Where remember the Black Plague? Hey, who could forget oh, that yeah. thing? <laughs> so uh, yeah. I mean, we we uh, we like to think we've lived through it now, but uh, it's nowhere close. Um, the Black Plague killed ten percent of the population on Earth, um, at least, and it might have been higher than that. Um, but uh, there are some reports during that period of um, people seeing UFOs. Uh, immediately before an outbreak in a particular area. So they would see a cigar-shaped object uh, coming down low in the sky. Sometimes they would even um, uh, uh, 
I think now I'm not a hundred percent sure if this part is true, but I think that there are that parts of those reports even mentioned um, like mists or spray coming out of these ships. And then uh, within a, usually a couple days later, um, suddenly there's this massive outbreak in their town. Um, so like biological weapons or chemical warfare or whatever, um, so you know, maybe the maybe the the war of the world's uh, fear is not one hundred percent unfounded, uh, because we really don't know what their intentions are. Yeah, yeah, that is true. That's weird that you said that they saw the ship spraying a mist. That makes me think like if there was Anunnaki, where the Anunnaki kind of spraying the population with some kind of plague to like, because it goes back to the Atrahasis where Enlil says like if before the flood comes, like Enlil tries to wipe out humanity in a numerous amount of ways. Like he gives them a plague. Exactly. He does do that. He gives them a plague. Then he cuts off the food supply and um, all that stuff. Do you remember that part, Ken? Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. So I'll, I'll, we'll talk about that more next time. But also in the Bible, that happens because when uh, Yahweh sends uh, Joshua across the Jordan River to take to go into Canaan, he sends ahead of him uh, a flying ship called the Hornet, and he says, "Don't worry, I'm going to take these uh, pop take the population out, and I'm going to make them very weak, so that by the time you get there." Uh, you'll just be able to tromp right through. That's that's fast. That's fascinating. That's Yahweh, like, the God of love. Apparently. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd love to know who he really was. You know, I think it might have been Enlil, but I'm not sure. Doesn't that doesn't that sound a little strange? It's <clears throat> to name a spaceship or a ship, the Hornet. It sounds almost as bad as um. Who was it that came that came back down to Earth and was Metatron? Yeah, was Metatron. It? Yeah, who was it? I mean, that, yeah. come on, uh, it, it Metatron, <laughs> a super cool name. It's very eighties. It, yeah. oh, yeah. It's like a transformer or something. It had to have been mis misinterpreted uh, because Metatron just doesn't fit in with the rest of the biblical stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's I weird, agree. but but. Keeping in mind that that's going through a Greek filter because meta is a Greek word, and so is Tron. I can't. I don't know exactly what Tron means. It's got to be like machine or something, right? So Metatron is like the the this. Well, meta is like above or whatever. So the above machine. Maybe maybe it makes sense in a Greek way. <laughs> it's all Greek to me. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, we've been going about 53 minutes. Uh, is there anything else before we finish up for tonight that you guys want to cover about the book or say before we finish up for tonight? Um, I'd like to say that <clears throat> I think this book truly belongs in high schools because I, I think it's a great way of teaching history. And it's, it's sort of like if kids knew about a lot of these sightings through time, what was going on during those times, they would remember their history. But because we've whitewashed our history to the point where, I mean, heck, um, <clears throat> I don't even think the Civil War is in the books anymore. So it, it just, it makes sense to me to give them a, a, a reflection point. You know, this is, this is what happened with UFOs at this particular point in time. And you can go back tens of thousands of years 
and 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 attribute it to look at Constantine in flying shields. I mean, huge battle. It's it's the one that you know where Christianity started, but I guess that's you know religion, and you can't teach that in the school either. But but it's it's sort of like I think that that it's a great way to teach history. If I was still teaching, I would be I would be using this book in my classroom. That's fascinating. And can uh, any closing thoughts? Um, well, I think you know as you as you start to get into this stuff and just look at all the weirdness. And um, one thing that I'm really noticing is that all, all the stories from around the world are all telling the same story. Um, and not only that, but it also is popping up in our, uh, you know, like they say, life imitates art and art imitates life. And I see these same themes being, uh, being addressed in, some of our uh, some of the best of our sci-fi uh, films and whatnot. So, I recommend watching Prometheus, which is my favorite movie of all time. Um, and yes, it's better than Alien, the first one, uh, marginally. Um, but uh, and and watch that and and tell yourself first of all, realize that that's actually a true story. Then watch that movie. Um, and then uh, read all my books, and eventually you'll find out why I think it's a true story. Yeah, that, that's that's fascinating. Um, I, I've I've seen Prometheus. I love it. It's a it's a it's a good movie. And like, um, I, yeah, I don't have any other questions. Uh, can you guys tell everybody where to find you, where to find your shows, where to find your books, and uh, whoever wants to go first or whatever? Um, well, I'm at barbaradelong.com. And that's my website, and it's got links to the um, to the radio show, Nightlight Radio, and and to the YouTube right on that right on that one place. And mine is at dimensionfold.com. Um, I've again, yeah, my books are on there. I've also got links to my YouTube channel, my podcast, uh, my Substack, which I'm doing a lot of uh, articles and things, which are very interesting. Um, and uh, actually, my sub stack is probably the best way to, to uh, make sure that you are in, um, in the loop for uh, new stuff that I'm doing. So get on there and subscribe to it. That's fascinating. Well, um, I want to thank you both for doing this. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. And uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in tonight. And uh, until next time.